Hey guys, and welcome to another edition of the Bo Knows Business Podcast. Listen, I am your girl, Nick. I am not only the founder and your host of the Bo Collective, but I'm just, I am the founder and I am just so delighted and excited um, to bring to you these weekly stories about these superheroes. They really are superheroes in their own right, and they don't get an opportunity. We don't get an opportunity to hear their stories. The Bo Collective are 52 Black women business owners who are working together to scale their businesses, as well as to really show the formula, the strategy on how to take your business to a multi-million dollar endeavor. All right. So this week we have someone that is so special to my heart, Miss Ricky Fairley. She is... She just has my heart and I'm going to, I'm not even going to start out. I want to get her on the stage so we can just start talking about all the wonderful work um, that she is doing for black women with breast cancer, telling their stories every day. Ricky, sister Ricky, how are you? So good to be here with you, my Nick. Are you doing okay, my breastie? I am. I am. I'm having a good day. Um, yes, I'm having a good day. And I want you to just really know how important you are in, in my life. Um, obviously, we share a lot of things in, in addition to be women entrepreneurs, but we are both breast cancer survivors. Um, we know that that um, that story, that experience that happens uh, with our sisters in the Black community um, is your rally cry. We're going to get to that very soon. But the what we're doing on the Bo Knows Business is we're hearing stories. We're hearing our Bo sisters' stories. And what I love, I'm sensing, it's like even though we're the Bo's, I am seeing these pearls, these strands of pearls, just like what you're wearing, these stories are just so impactful, number one. And number two, I want to know, is there a pattern to success? You know, a lot of people think that, you know, Oprah just woke up one day and was Oprah, right. Sheila Johnson just woke up, but we know better, right? We know that it started in our childhood. There were things, the seeds that were planted. And so let's spend the first few minutes just knowing what little Ricky was like, like as a child, tell us your, tell us uh, how you were raised, where you were raised. Tell us some of your early influences in your life. Whoa. Wow. No one's asked me that question in a while. So, so, you know, I grew up in Silver Spring, Maryland. Um, I had very dominant parents. I had a very, very dominant father and grandparents. And so, you know, we were the, uh, you know, a very middle-class black family. Only I thought we were poor until I went to college and met people who, who had a lot less than I had, but my father was a civil rights leader. He was the, um, he really worked for the government and was the major person to, to um, support education. They're both educators. My dad, PhD, my mom, an elementary school principal and then a teacher and then a principal. So it was all about education. My, my grandmother was actually the, um, the vice principal of Dunbar High School in D.C. Wow. And her uncle was the superintendent of schools for D.C., for the black schools. So I grew up like education was primary. You know, at the dinner table every night, you had to have a vocabulary word. You had to spell it and use it in a sentence for my whole life. 
Um, when when I started dating, my father made my boyfriends do book reports to date me. I'll say, girl. And so, and and my father, um, went, and my father went to Dartmouth, and um, he'll tell you his mother made him go there. I have a long before him. Their whole family went to Oberlin, but uh, my father's whole rule was: you can go to any college you want, but if you want me to pay for it, you have seven choices. So I knew I had to go to an Ivy League school. There was no discussion, and also we had to get straight A's. Like you can. You know, and we got paid for A's. We got paid money by everybody in the family paid for A's. So I could make like $200 on getting straight on every report card. But if you made a B, you, you had to go someplace else and live. Mm. And that was what the so when you use the word dominating, you mean the word like he did not come to play when no, he came to he education. Did not, play, did not play. No, there was no such thing as a, as a, um, as a B. And if you really wanted to do anything, after school or after school activities, whatever, you know, you know, you had to do your homework first or you couldn't go. So ballet yeah. class was only, is the homework done? You know, so that was very, very, and, and my dad, you know, was, was, um, he was one of the doc, you know, the per people that drove little girls like Ruby Bridges to the white school in the South. He was the, you know, deputy assistant secretary of education and for the government, he appropriated government funds to black colleges, to all the colleges. And so it was all about, you know, education and, and getting, getting work done and doing, and my father's motto was, you know, sleep when you're dead, you have to do something great. So I know that's right. Can I just tell you the most surprising thing? This is our, I think our sixth week in business here with the bow nose business. And um, you all, I thought we were just going to learn about business. Y'all are making me better parents every day. Because <laughs> <laughs> this is the same daggone story. Excellent. Really? Excellent. Above everything, whether they came from large families or small, their parents were dominant driving factors in their lives education above all else. So you have a lot in common. We're only, we're actually five in deep, but there is a very, very wow. clear pattern here. That's wow. so, so impressive. My, my mom just published a book. We've been working on it for three years. She's an elementary school principal in Montgomery County, and it's called the Wilma Holmes story, Principles of a Principal, because she was a principal for 30 years. And principles so of a principal. I love it. I, you you did that. You're the branding lady. I know you did that. We worked on it. But um, but yes, yeah, so you know, it was all about and you know, I've I have a, a magna cum and a summa cum daughters from both from Dartmouth. So I I instilled the same practice on my own kids. And, and Haley, you know, my baby daughter will tell you, you know, we could do anything we want. I had no rules in my house. I just had to get straight A's. So yeah. she had all, and I'm hearing now like all the parties she had when I wasn't home or whatever, but she's like, it don't matter. It's A's above care. all. I don't care. You can have whatever you want and get a, you can have a car, whatever, but better bring it girl. Cause you I love it. Better bring it girl. No, this is fantastic and consistent. Thank you for that. So mm -hmm. our next chapter. So I, I love it. I want to know now, um, again, your entrepreneurship journey. Tell us what your career looked like. We know what your education, we know your values. Tell us about your early career phases and how did um, that morph into your first business? Because I know this isn't your first business. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I worked in corporate America. I went to Dartmouth. I got my MBA at Kellogg. And but all of my jobs in corporate America, I was an entrepreneur. 
Mm. You know, and I never thought explain about that. Explain that. So basically the jobs that I had, and I grew up in marketing and brand management. Yes. I worked at j and I worked at Nabisco. I worked at Coke. And and um, the jobs I had, though, were all running a business within a, within a corporation. So as a brand manager, you're running a business, right? Yes. So I grew up in that track. And then I, as I, as I got more experience, I started businesses within companies. So either started a new brand or I started a new department that didn't exist. So when I went to work for Coke, I actually started a new department that didn't exist. I broke down five different departments and put them into one marketing department and basically did change management and ran a business. So I sort of always had that entrepreneur bug, even when I worked in, in, in corporate America and I was able to take advantage of those learning experiences with, on somebody else's dime, yeah. right? So when yes. I was trying to start my own business, I knew how to do it because yes. I had already learned how to do it from doing it inside of a bigger company. And so I worked for, you know, my first sort of entrepreneurial endeavor was for an agency in Atlanta, okay. Images USA, and I was a partner. So I had two partners. But then I started my own company when I was in chemo, on chemo. Hmm. You know, between my, my um, second and third rounds of chemo, I quit my business partners, like I quit everybody. I quit my life and started a new one and I started Dove Marketing. So I started, and my first client was Obama. You know, so I made the radio ads for the, the 2012 Obama campaign, but I, but I had you know, the benefit of doing that for Coke, right? So learning on their, on their dime. Incredible. I, people are gonna get so sick of me on these daggone <laughs> uh, podcasts because I am like, fangirling number one breathtaking number two you know what what you said about being an entrepreneur um do you think that that i mean you you so much has said it learning on someone else's dime so you know i i teach and coach entrepreneurs but i always say that the best entrepreneurs are the ones like you, the ones that worked in the government for 20 years where you, you've gotten the resources, the relationships right. that when you stepped out, you got your first client right there. And, client. and that's exactly yeah. what you've done. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, Nick and, and fangirling is all, you know, is mutual darling. You'll have a girl crush, you know that, but, um, but you know, we make, we have the opportunity to build relationships. And at, at the end of the day, those relationships are the most important part of starting a business. So when I see these young people, you know, these millennials, I'm going to start a business, I want to be a CEO. Go do it with somebody else so you can build relationships because that's what's going to get you through. That's what's going to get you your first client. That's what's going to get you your first media deal. That's what's going to get you your, all of your first come from the people that you built, built rapport with over the years. And, you know, I say never, never, never you know, they always keep the bridges, never break a bridge, never, you know, you have to like whatever, whatever relationship you have with a person is meant to happen and meant to have a value later in your life. You may not know at the moment, but you'll see it eventually. And so work on those relationships, build those bridges and don't, don't break them. You know, even if you don't like the person, just, you know, kind of, you know, what does your mother say? Be gracious, be gracious. Be gracious. If you don't have anything good to say, don't say anything at all. But keep the relationship because you never know when it's going to come back to you. You never know. And what you said is so true. We're talking, you know, 
we talk about millennials and the entrepreneurial spirit is real. Yeah. Um, but when, but when I hear people, cause I, I get this a lot, you know, I want to work for myself. I want to be my own boss. Always. I said, That's probably the biggest fallacy about entrepreneurship is that you're yeah. alone <laughs> because if you're alone, you're not going to be in business long. Right. right. You are you not alone. Clients. You, know, you work for your clients. Look, you, you have to talk to political officials. There may be, right. Um, uh, zoning regular. I mean, there's so many parts of owning a business, but right. the biggest part is the people. The, the biggest people. part is the people. It's the people. It's the people. And you know, I have this um power pearl from my friend Carla Harris. Yes. You know, she's a badass, right? Um, but um, she has this power these power pearls. But my favorite one, and this is what I told to my girls, I tell to everyone, is people make decisions about you, your career, when you are not in the room. In the room, whether you're going to get promoted, whether you're going to get the deal, whether you're going to get hired, whether you're whatever, yes. you're not in the room, right? Yes. So, what do you want them to say about you when you are not in the room? Yes. Boil it down to three words. What are the three words you want? That's your brand, right? That's what do you want brand. people to say about you when you are not there? And that's what you have to live. You have to live those three words every day. I love it. Relationship, because that's what's going to. That's what people are going to say about you. What do you think? Are your three words? What do you okay, think people right. said? Um, I mean, you set it up, girl. You said it right on that. I know my craft. I know my craft. I'm excellent at my craft, right? That I'm going to get shit done. Yes. You know, that's my motto. Yes. Yes. Get shit done. Yes. And and that um, that I value relationships, that I know how to nurture relationships and make them happen. And I value them and, and make them Make them a purpose, you know, to that I can nurture people and I hope people will nurture me. I love it. I love it. I so I usually ask people, you know, about adversity and in, in, in their business. But we know as entrepreneurs that it's symbiotic. Right. And you shared a little bit about, you know, your personal being the catalyst for your second business. Um, tell us about your experience and tell us how that, how you took that experience and created a business opportunity out of that. Well, you know, Nick, um, my doctor told me I was going to die, you know, and so you know what it's like to have breast cancer. And so when you look at the stats for black women, they're just devastating. Black women have a 41% higher mortality rate. Black women like us have a 71% higher relative risk of death than white women. Black women under the age of 35 get breast cancer at twice the rate, die at three times the rate. And, and black women have a 39% higher recurrence rate of breast cancer. And so I kind of started looking at these stats like a marketing person, like my yeah. marketing brain. And I said, okay, what is what can we do about this? That something needs to be done. And so I really created touch because I wanted to figure out how to save black women. And when I looked at the data, the, the drugs that we have on the market right now are 20 and 30 years old, a lot of them. But guess what? There were no black women in the clinical trials for those drugs. And so they don't work. So think about it. For every 100 white women that die of breast cancer, 141 black women die. That's ridiculous. So and so it's got to be about the science. I mean, clearly, and everybody, all the white people want to blame it on the psychosocial factors. Oh, the social determinants of health. They're all single moms. They don't go to the doctor. They don't have access. Right. To all the stereotypes, the narratives. Right. 
but it's not, it's the science, it's the drugs. And so I started touch to change the game on that. And we have to do that. The only way we can do that is to get more black women into research. And so I started a movement to get black women into research. It's called when we trial, when we trial.org. And I'm on a passion, passionately trying to change the game. And my new motto was do epic shit. Do epic shit. You so are. I epic. So yeah. I had to do it though. I mean, when my doctor said, you're going to die, I'm like, I can't die. I have shit to do, man. I have two, three grandbabies and, and, you know, Belle's four and a half. I got 10 years till she gets boobs. She's my purpose. So I, I, think you're incredible. I know how many women you have impacted. Um, tell us, how will you know? How are, how will you know when you're moving the needle? What in terms of, because scaling your business, which is what we've been talking about, these million dollar businesses, right? That's that's not the the model for yours per se, and that you, you have raised money, raised awareness um, and, and gotten funding. How do you measure the success of your movement, of your business? So clearly raising money is critical to do the work I want. So I'm trying to bring my marketing disciplines and acumen to, to breast cancer advocacy. And so I am trying to do what I did with brands. So I reach out to the pharma company saying, your brand is not working for my people. So how can I help you? I'm telling you your baby's ugly. I'm going to give you a hug, but you need to give me that money so I can put it to good work. Yes. Right. And so, so it's the same discipline really, but I'm taking, I'm trying to be creative about how I approach it. So we just launched our advertising campaign yesterday. We're spending about a million dollars in media and what breast cancer advocacy group does that? Nobody. So we're doing it with black women, especially. So, okay. but um, so we know that since our campaign launched at the end of January, We've sent 200 black women to clinical trials. And so I don't know what the measure is. in their face. Tell me, listen, I, you know, I'm going to be very honest with you. You know, I, I struggle in, in this area about talking, which is so crazy, right? Because I talk for a living. I'm very transparent. My, um, my cancer was diagnosed two years ago And my strategy has been, I'm going to talk about it. I'm going to share. And then I just want to live. I want the living to be my live your best life. Well, but but sometimes I feel guilty. I feel I'm like, am I not Mm -hmm. saying enough? But it's still, it's it, you know, even my shoulders are tensing up because I'm like, is there is is there a place for people? like me to support that are still working through their own emotions. And yeah. And, and the fear, the fear of it. I mean, you know, you wake up every morning, you look at your fake boobs in the mirror and you say, gosh, is it going to come back? Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We always have that fear. I still have it 10 years out, but you know what? Anytime you talk about it, you make an impact on somebody. Yeah. And, you know, as black families, we don't talk about health you know, at the kitchen table yeah. until somebody's got their leg amputated or grandma Pookie died of whatever. This yeah. one's in hospice, right? Well, how'd that happen? Yeah. So, so you, you have to take responsibility to bring it to your family and just yeah. activate your family. Like on Thanksgiving, they hate me. I cook the dinner and no one can eat until we go around where we get ready to say grace and everybody says what they're thankful for. But I'm like, what's your A1C? What's your PC, PSA? I know that's right pressure, what's your whatever. And I've now made everybody in my family 
Talk know about those numbers. Know, know those, those numbers. 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 And so I feel responsible to make them act on it, right? Yes. On their on this stuff. And so that's what you can do. Just do it in your household. Do it with your mama and your aunties and your grandma and 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 get them talking about it because that's where we're going to make a difference. And we have this HBCU internship program. And I've got right now 11, I call them little girls, but they're not, you know. So I have one high school senior, one grad student, and the rest are, you know, pre-med, pre-health, pre-nursing students. And they're amazing. But what they do for me is they talk to their families. They talk yeah. to their peers on social oh, media. That's beautiful. And they make a video with their mom. And I know that in all the interns we've had, it was the first conversation they had with their mom about breast health. And so they're they're making waves in their family. And I want to make more waves. So just talk about it. Just talk about it and get your families talking about it because yeah. you can't prevent breast cancer. A lot of cancers you can and a lot of health diseases you can. Breast cancer you can't, but you can early detect it. And you can know your body. You can know your her story. You can yeah. talk about your her story. Mom, okay. who had breast cancer in our family? Yeah. Did anyone have any kind of cancer? Because they're all connected, you know, at some point. So just talk about it. Just talk about it and it'll make you feel better. Especially yes. No, you're right. It's, it's an, you know, I, I know this intuitively and I'm, I'm yes. growing into this on, on more painful subjects, but you take away the uh, fear you're empowered when you control your own narrative, when you tell your own stories, it, it really does dissipate. And so I applaud you. I'm so proud um, of you. And, and I will end with this. We just have a couple of minutes um, because I think your story, your energy, your superpowers, mm -hmm. um, they have been such a blessing in our new sisterhood of the Bow Collective. What does, the, what does the collective mean to you? You were one of our, you know, you just, it resonated, you got it. Maybe it's the branding, but I think you also know what it what we're dealing with out there. What does the collective mean to you? And why did you say yes? Because it was you. <laughs> I mean, because it was you, because you get shit done. Like I knew that I knew that you were gonna be do iconic shit. I knew that you were gonna do something that was gonna make an impact and make a difference. And anything to support our sisterhood is so important to me. And I knew that you were going to bring, and I didn't really know anybody in this. No. Which is crazy because you know everybody, right? Yeah. So isn't that powerful? No, but I knew that, I knew that you would bring together an incredible group of women that were going to, that are all working to make a difference, that are all doing iconic shit. And I knew that, that it would be so powerful and I wanted to be a part of it. And I knew that my business was different too. Yes. And also I wanted, you know, make, these by these dynamic women. Well, these can, I mean, no, you, 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 you are bringing your message to your core audience. And I think it is a, it's a beautiful blend. It's a beautiful blend. Um, I love you so very much. I love you so much. Um, the biggest lesson I got to tell you is from breast cancer is I had to learn that my peace is non-negotiable and we are all crazy and stressed, but I want you to take that away because you need your peace too. We need our peace. Well, thank we you. We find it in our work. No, I I get it, and I and I will share with you. Um, you know the power of the Bow Sisterhood. It shows up every every day for me. Yeah. Um, this last, seeing it. It's 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 happening. I, I'm seeing the relationships. That is something deep to me. But also as as a leader of leaders. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I have to be vulnerable and say when I need help. Yes. This past uh, weekend, I had death in my family. I had illness um, in, in my home. And I had to be strong enough, be um, vulnerable enough to say, I need you all. I need you all to step in the gap. And the overwhelming um, just tsunami of support and love that we are doing this together um, is something that I will never forget. I think it's God's uh, one of God's biggest blessings in my life. Well, that's but that's about your relationships. It all boils down to the hug that you give to your sister, the call that you give, that thank you. All of that just pays off after years of, you know, and there's only one degree of separation between all of us and we're all connected and we have to support each other. We have to. And that's what we do as black. That's what we're doing. That's what we're doing. Well, you're doing it mind, body and soul. Bo, Ricky, we're so grateful to you. I can't wait for people to hear this story because as, as well as I think I know you, I got some nuggets myself. We are stringing together these pearl stories for such an amazing necklace of Black women, badasses. Yeah, badasses. I can't <laughs> man. I kind of, I got to cuss more than I've ever. I know, cussed. right? I know. I love it. It's so thrilling. <laughs> I love you so anyway, much. Thank you, sister. Love you so yeah. much. Bye. Have a blessed day. You too. And that does it for another powerful, amazing uh, episode. I am such a lucky girl. I am such a lucky girl. I've got great friends. They've got great stories. Please join us next week. We'll have another episode. Please tell your friends. Follow us on thebowcollective.org. Ricky and others, they're going to share blog blog posts with you all on strategies for success, not only in your business, but as Ricky said, in relationships and in life, we are all interconnected. Thank you all so much for joining us. Take care.